Hi friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. My name is Chris Rogers and I am your host. I'm pleased that you are joining me today on this episode. If it's your first time with Making Disciples, you are warmly welcome. We love having you here. And on Making Disciples, what we aim to do is take uh, Christian ideas, discipleship themes and explain them in a way that's super simple so that anyone can get them. And uh, you guys send me in questions and I love answering your questions. And the question that we're answering today uh, comes from uh, a guy called Steve. He sent this uh, online and simply asked, Chris, which version of the Bible should I be reading? Which is the best version of the Bible uh, that I should be reading? And it's a really good question. Which is the best translation of the Bible? Uh, so we're going to explore differences in the different kinds of texts, different kinds of Bibles out there, try to explain uh, what is probably the best translation of the Bible and is the best translation of the Bible for you and that's the question we'll be exploring. So friends, welcome to Making Disciples. We hope you really enjoy this episode. Uh, here we go. What is the best translation of the Bible? Which is the best translation of the Bible? Which one should we all be reading? There are so many translations out there that it can be really hard to know which one should we be reading. And if you said to me, Chris, which is the best tool for the job that I'm doing? I would ask the question, well, what job are you doing? Uh, depending on what, what job you're doing depends on what is the best tool for the job. If you're trying to put a nail in a piece of wood, then a screwdriver is not going to be the best tool for the job. If you are wanting to put a screw into a piece of wood, then a saw is not the best tool for the job. But if you're cutting a piece of wood, the saw is the best place to go. And then you might start saying, well, which saw for this job? So when we're asking this question, which is the best translation of the Bible? Actually, I'm going to give the answer. Uh, I can't give you an answer. Um, because really it depends on what you're trying to achieve or what you're trying to understand or what you want to get from the Bible and, and who you are depends on which version of the Bible that I would be saying read. Now, which version of the Bible? Just to clarify, the Bible is the Bible. We have manuscripts going all the way back that we're able to translate and in that translation, uh, the nuance, the differences come in the translation, not in the original text. OK, so we have versions of the Bible uh, in the original Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic uh, that are going back hundreds of years, like the whole Bible in one place. And that's great, but they're not the oldest versions of the Bible. If you would say, what's the oldest version of the Bible? Actually, it's really difficult to give that answer because, as you imagine, over time, papyrus disintegrates. So over time, we don't have whole copies of the Bible dating back 1900, 2000 years. We don't have them because they've deteriorated. What we do have is whole translations of the Bible that are 500 years, 600 years old. And then what we have are tiny little fragments like jigsaw piece pieces of the Bible going back 1800 years, 1900 years. And what we are able to do is we can take our modern Greek, say a version uh, of the Bible that's 500 years old, 
And we can check it out by taking these fragments of the Bible, these little jigsaw pieces of the Bible, and we're able to put them to the side of the version that we have now and check it out. Uh, so you have all these little fragment pieces that we have to somehow put together to create a whole version of the Bible. The Bible, when it was written, was in Greek. Here's just my, my kind of print out that I use for teaching. And what they did was the the Bible had been in scrolls. When it was uh, the Old Testament, it was scroll-based. The Torah came in a scroll. But when the new church was forming 2,000 years ago, Paul was writing, the disciples were writing their Gospels, uh, this text became illegal. And you wanted to pass it around and, 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 and share it with others. What they realised was they could take the idea of a codex. Now, the codex is just a book version of the Bible. And what they could do is they could create the Bible as a book, a number of sheets that they could hide under their clothing. And by hiding it under their clothing, they could move it around, copy it and move it around, copy it and move it around. And what we've ended up with are small pieces of fragments of text. And what we have to do is piece it all together uh, to work out what is the earliest versions of the Bible. Well, what we found is actually the modern versions of the Bible, 500-year-old Greek text when I say modern, uh, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. And the difference is people say, well, the Bible's changed over time, hasn't it? Friends, the Bible hasn't changed. What has happened is the original Greek still is there, but how we translate it over time changes as we understand what those Greek words mean. But also uh, we have different versions of words. I'm going to give you a real simple example in a moment. Uh, we have different versions of words for different regions and in different languages. And what we have to do is choose which version of those words is the best one for that people group which translating the Bible for. Example, I live in London right now. If I go to a shop, I order bread. Uh, if I want to get the rolls that you put burgers on, I'd ask for burger rolls. If I'm in West Yorkshire, where I grew up, I would ask for a scuffler or a oven bottom cake. These are all roughly the same kind of thing, but there are different words used to explain the same thing. They're, they're, they're regional words. When the Bible's translated, we have to work out what is the best word for the group of people that this Bible is being translated for. And over time, those words change, cultures change. So when you pull up a Bible, uh, rather than saying alleyway, it might say the word ginnel. Ginnel is a northern word for alleyway. So they may have used a different word. So it looks like the Bible's changed and it hasn't. It's just the words that we've used to translate it have changed. The Bible has not changed. We're able to go all the way back thousands of years to the earliest manuscripts. And it's really fun when you start looking into this stuff. Like the, the nerdy stuff of the Bible is really fun. Uh, for example, a number of years ago in the uh, some caves in Qumran, they found the oldest version or one of the oldest versions of the book of Isaiah. Uh, and they could take that old, that old book of Isaiah up against a, a, a newer copy of the Isaiah and put them uh, to, on top of each other and work out which um, are they similar? Where are the differences? But we, we, we keep getting older and older as we find these manuscripts. So what I want to explore today is which is the best version of the Bible for you? Because depending on what you're wanting to do with it will change which version of the Bible that you go for. Because when this text is being translated, the, the Bible text, the Greek text, the translators all have a bias and their bias determines 
how close that text is to the original. And one of the issues is, if you want to get a Bible that's as close a text as possible to the original, it actually becomes incredibly difficult to read in the English. It becomes quite disjointed. Um, so I'm going to kind of walk this through with you. There are there are versions of the Bible at one end of the scale that I would describe as word for word translations of the Bible. They've taken the Bible up a word for word. They've translated it. And then you've got versions of the Bible that I would describe more as like thought for thought. They've translated the, the idea to the idea. So maybe it isn't word for word in the same way, but it's idea by idea, theme by theme. Uh, and what they've done is by doing that, it makes it slightly easier to read and they can contextualise it better for us as a reader. And then at the right, the other end of the scale, you would have something like the Good News version of the Bible or the Message Translation of the Bible. We would describe those as paraphrases. I kind of like to talk about them as like poetic translations. What they've done is they've took the original text of the Bible and they've tried to translate it in such a way that it captivates your imagination. It stimulates your thinking. So the message version of the Bible, for example, is one of the most beautiful versions of the Bible out there. It really captivates your imaginations when it's read, but it's actually incredibly distant from word for word translation. So it, it might get the emotion of what the passage is trying to say. It might convey the, the ideas and the imagery, but it's a long way off what the original text would have said. Now, just to explain this bias for a moment, because this is like really important. Every translator has a bias. A translator has a view that it's looking, as it's tra they're translating the Bible, they're looking for uh, ways of being able uh, to translate things that maybe might back up their argument a little bit. And this is quite an important thing to be aware of. So... I really do not like the King James version of the Bible. I don't like it because I find the the English in there incredibly clunky. The these and the vowels, it's just alien to me. I'm not a great reader at the best of times. So I find that very alien to me. But it's also translated with a bias. And the bias is that the King James Bible was written in a world where it was commissioned by King James. And they were establishing the Church of England. And in the Church of England, they wanted to be able to create a hierarchy, a priesthood hierarchy. And when the King James Bible was translated, it was translated with that priestly bias. And there are times when I don't like how it translates things. Uh, my biggest issue with it, though, is the fact that it is real clunky English. Now, just a little bit more about this uh, idea of bias, because I think it is important for us to understand that different Bibles will have different biases. And the question for us is, are we aware of those biases and are we happy with those biases? So an example for you, Romans 16 verse 12. Okay, Some of you will love what I say now and some of you are really going to hate what I say now. But Romans 16 verses 1 and 2, sorry, not 12, Romans 16 verses 1 and 2. There's this passage where Paul is writing about a lady called Phoebe. And he's describing Phoebe 
uh, in the letter to the Romans. And different translations have translated a couple of different words in here, slightly different ways. Was Phoebe an early leader of the church? Was Phoebe a helper in the church? Or was Phoebe simply a financial benefactor in the church? And depending how you translate this passage, you could be pro-women in leadership or anti-women in leadership. Uh, it may make Phoebe look like she's nothing but a financial giver to the mission of Jesus, whereas the other makes it look like she's a leader with authority in the church. So give me, let me give you examples. I've got the King, I've got the NIV, the NLT, the ESV, the King James, the Message, and the NRSV. So the NIV, uh, New International Version, says this: I ask you to receive her, that's Phoebe, in the um, in the Lord, in a way worthy of His people, and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Now, benefactor for me, and you'll see uh, this is translated early on later on in another passage a bit differently benefactor makes it really sound like money she has financially been supporting her she's a financial benefactor now the greek word that we have here is the word prostatis prostatis p-r-o-s-t-a-t-i-s told you friends we're going nerdy today okay prostatis and the way they've translated it here is benefactor I actually, if you go in and look at this Greek word, what is this Greek word really about? I believe it is a, uh, a prostatis is a woman who has been set over others, a leader, female leader set over others who is there to lead, preach and teach. That's what that word prostatis means from my understanding of the Greek. And the way it's been translated in the NIV uh, would be benefactor. So what about the New Living Translation, the NLT? Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honour among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many, especially to me. So the NLT makes it sound like she's a helper. Like here is somebody who's simply there to help. ESV, the English Standard Version. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a, a way that is worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she needs from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Patron. Again, for me, that sounds like a financial person who gives financially. So ESV's translated it. So some of these translations of the Bible that are word for word are translating this word uh as more of a financial benefactor. Let's just keep going. The King James Version of the Bible says this, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, that ye assist her in whatever business she hath need of you, for she hath been... Uh, now the word here, I, I even struggle to say this word, sukuro, sukuro, I don't know that, of many... I love myself. So I had to Google the word sukkara, and it just means a uh, rescuer, a uh, rescuer and helper of, of many. So the King James Version of the Bible translates the word as more rescuer, sukkara. And that's one of my issues with the King James. There's just too many old English words I just don't get. Okay, Message Version of the Bible says this. Be sure to welcome uh, our friend Phoebe in the way of the master, which... Uh, 
um, with all the generous hospitality we, we Christians are famous for. I heartily endorse both her and her work. She's a key representative of the church. Help her out in whatever she asks. She deserves anything you can do for her. She's helped many a person, including me. Um, again, there's an idea of of uh, being a helper in this. And then the NRSV uh, ends up translating it for she has been a benefactor of many. Now, what is interesting, though, the NRSV translates a word slightly earlier as, as deacon. I command to you, our sister Phoebe, a deacon. And Paul only uses this, this Greek word here uh, for deacon five times. He talks about himself as Paul and Timothy and just a couple of others as being deacons. Um, we translate it uh, quite clumsily uh, in, in this passage. And this is where I think bias comes in in, in passages like this. Many of these passages nod to how much respect you should give her. They, they, they say, do whatever she needs, the NRT uh, says. Do whatever she asks of you, the NIV say. So in the background, you've got this idea that she's somebody of authority that does need to be helped and looked after. Uh, not looked after, that's the wrong word, but uh, need your help and support because she's, she's doing something. So there's this idea that there's a leadership role here in there. And it's only the NRSV that translates uh, the word deacon in here. A deacon is somebody who is there to serve the Lord in leadership. So the Bible has these mistranslations or biases in the way that they translate the words. And all of them there, I think, of poorly translated prostatis, which is a, uh, a woman who is of a leader of others. Um, I would have much preferred it for she has been a leader of many. But actually the word leadership is quite a modern uh, idea as well. We talk about priesthood and I think the NRSV, this idea of calling a deacon, is probably one of the closest. Uh, I do love the message translation. I think it, it gets something of the idea of her importance. Uh, but all translations of the Bible have these biases. So you need to be aware of the biases that you're reading. Uh, because you may come up with different ideas of women in leadership from which version of the Bible you're translating. Because if that Bible has been translated by somebody who is thinking in a particular theology or a particular way of thinking, they will place that upon the, the text. So it's just about being aware of these issues. And different translations do translate things a bit differently. I've got another example here. This is John 17, 21. And we have got uh, a line here from John that is a very tangled up piece of clumsy Greek. And the translations of the Bible are aiming to try and untangle the clumsiness. Those that are going word for word, leave it as clumsy. Those that are going much more down the paraphrase are much less clumsy. Uh, but just to give you an idea. So right at one end, let's let's look at the uh, English Standard Version for a moment. That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that, that the world may believe. That's ESV, uh, trying to translate the, this tangled up Greek into a way that kind of makes sense. The NIV does it very similar, to be honest, that all of them, may be one father just as you are in me and i am in you they may be also one in the, uh, us so the world may know now what the niv have done they've actually uh 
change it slightly that all of them may be one father just as you're in me so what the niv has done it's gone it's pulled away slightly from word for word and tried to make it less clumsy by the way that it puts the commas in and the breaks in the sentence king james version of the bible that they all may be one as thou father art in me and i in thee that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me it just feels clumsy. The NRSV, again, feels really clumsy. All of these texts are trying to be as close to the word for word as, as possible-ish. Um, Good News Translation does it like this. I pray that they may all be one. Father, may they be in us just as you are in me and I am in you. So it's kind of, what it's done is it's flipped the human part of the passage to their oneness and then talked about God the Father and God the Son being one afterwards. So it's kind of changed it around, made it a little bit easier to read. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be one so that the world will believe that you are you have sent me. The Good News Translation has, has made it much easier to read by flipping the sentence round. So what they've done is they've, they've pulled away from the original wording of the Greek to make it in a way that really flows easily in the English. Uh, and I could give you uh, the message and, and some of the others, but I just want to kind of, if you, if you said, Chris, I want the most word for word, closest translation of the Bible to the original as possible, then what you need is what's called a Greek interlinear Bible. Uh, and this is the best translation that you are ever going to get. But I tell you, you physically can't read it. I'm going to read to you a direct Greek translation from the original Bible. Okay. And this is not trying to tidy it up. It's not trying to translate it in a more helpful way. It's not putting the words into an English order. It's leaving it in the Greek order. And this is what it says. That all one may be as you father in me and I in you, that also they in us may be that the world may believe that you sent me. So the original Greek is clumsy. So get this, at one end of the scale, you've got a real clumsy translation of the Bible, word for word. And then as you get to things like the ESV and the NRSV, what they're trying to do is make it less clumsy, but keep it as close to the original version of the Bible as possible. Then you hit the NRSV, kind of in the middle. And what it's trying to do is make the Bible less clumsy and easy to read, whilst at the same time giving you the thoughts and the ideas behind it at the same time. So it wants you to not necessarily get the uh, best translation of the Greek in terms of word for word, but the best understanding behind what it's trying to say. Then you have, this is a new century version uh, I've got here. Uh, it's often just called the Youth Bible. And, and again, this is a beautiful translation of the Bible because what it's trying to do is make it as easy to understand uh, in our present culture and context and make it as easy to read as possible. Um, but it's not word for word. It's not a word for word translation. The New Living Translation, what they're doing is, as we start to drift down to the, to the, the more paraphrase end, is stay somewhat as close to the original wording, the original ideas, but it really wants to breathe life into it so that you understand it. Its biggest desire is you understanding what you are reading. So if you want a Bible that, that you can understand easily and be as close-ish to the original version of the Bible, then actually the New Living Translation is pretty beautiful in the way that it does that. Then you've got the uh, 
Good News Bible, which is much more in the paraphrase. It's trying to give you the meanings behind and be easy, as easy to read as possible. That's why often young people end up, children end up using Good News. And then you've got the message translation right at the very end. It is so far from the original Greek in places. It's bonkers. But at the same time, it's beautiful to read. It gets your imagination going around the themes that Jesus is speaking about. So, Chris, what is the best version of the Bible for me? Friends, I love the NIV. NIV is my workhorse. It's battered, it's bruised, it's scribbled on, it's, it's ideas. All, I love my NIV version of the Bible. It's the one that I call, um, I call it my rebel's guide because um, on the cover I've, I actually scribbled the, the rebel's guide. And for me, this is the version of the Bible that I love going to, partly because I, I think it does a it does a good enough job, good enough job for for daily Bible study, and I love kind of marking in it and putting notes in it and ideas in it. That is my workhorse. If you want a version of the Bible that's relatively easyish to read, um, I don't have a great reading age. Let's be honest with you, I'm I'm not a massive reader. I, NIV for me is the go-to. But if you're even less of a reader than I am. I would probably say the NLT is worth going for. I want people to grow in their love for Jesus. And I think the NLT does that uh, for many people uh, more than anything else. I wouldn't have it in my church. I wouldn't preach from it. Uh, but I think for daily reading at home to understand what's going on in the Bible, NLT is pretty good. I love going to the message version of the Bible, but I would certainly not be giving this to somebody and saying this is the Bible. Um, but I have given it to people who really, really, really struggle with the Bible. And I've said, look, start here. Start with this and I'll spend time with you in helping unpack the, the Bible. Now, if you are one of the nerds and you don't care how easy it is to read, you just want to really get into the word for word. Then the ESV, I would say the ESV is a, is a great translation of the Bible. It's a relatively modern uh, version of the Bible. Uh, and I would say it's definitely worth picking up a copy of the ESV. Uh, King James, personally, steer away from it. I mean, I have, there are many issues which I don't want to offend people because some people absolutely love and believe that is the word of God. Friends, it really isn't. And since that was translated in the 1600s, we have got far better understanding of Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic than we did back then. So I would really, I'm like, I know many churches absolutely adore the King James, so I'm not going to, but I would just keep it away. Then if you really want to do Bible study and get your head into the Bible, I would say an interlinear version of the Bible where it has the Greek and the Hebrew uh, and it has the English direct word translations underneath, uh, you can start translating your own versions of the Bible. So I, I did this uh, a number of years ago. I read the Sermon on the Mount in Greek, word for word, and made my own translation uh, of it to try and get people into the world of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not necessarily the most word for word translation because I'm trying to get the themes. So my version is probably some more around the NLT version of the Bible. But there you go. Different translations are like different tools and different tools are for different jobs. Bible study, you want the interlinear Greek or Hebrew, you want the ESV and I would say that NIV is right there for you. If you want to be inspired and understand it for the first time, I would be saying that NLT is blooming brilliant and is worth looking at. And if you're somebody that just needs a new take on an older text to inspire you, then the message is 
very good at doing that. Uh, so it's very poetic in the way it's translated. Different tools, different jobs. Uh, if you want, what does the Bible actually say, then you're really going to be looking for the uh, uh, Greek and the Hebrew translations. I hope you find that really helpful. It is a totally nerdy episode of Making Disciples. And I could go far more nerdy for you, exploring some of the Greek and the Hebrew uh, ways that things are translated and how clumsy sometimes they are translated. We could have really gone into that, but I hope you find that helpful. Which version of the Bible should I be reading? Depends on what you want to get out of it. And I hope that's been helpful in somewhat understanding the different versions of the Bible, what they look and feel like. Um, yeah, I hope you find that helpful. Friends, my name is Chris Rogers. I've been your host today on Making Disciples. If you found this helpful, do share it. Do let me know what you think. If you disagree with me and you've got a version of the Bible that you absolutely adore, leave it in the comments. We would love to get you chatting and engaging with me on this topic. Friends, until next time, grace and peace. Bye.